0: My name is Josh, I'm one of the pastors here, and as Pastor Tim said, it is uh, a joy to welcome you to Hagerstown Church and uh, to open the Word of God this morning. Uh, We're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark, and so if you have your Bible, get it out, and if you would, and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. We're going to read a large portion together and try to work through that this morning. That's verses 30 on down to 52. Before we jump into that text, I just want to say this is one of my favorite times of the year, and uh, it's not because it's Christmas, but it's because Christmas is very close. Uh, Sarah and I were talking this week, and we said, why is it that everybody is wanting to get Christmas trees out? No, abnormally early. Has anybody else noticed that? Like, you've always had those crazy people that are trying to get the Christmas tree out before October 31st, but now it's like, it's not just like 25% of us, which was a bit unsettling, but now it's more like 55% of us that are all about getting that Christmas tree out early. And I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, so I'm excited to see fall sweaters. Um, that's great. I'm excited to see some suit jackets and things like that because it says that uh, the weather is getting colder, but I want to go ahead and as your pastor, you're welcome to start wearing Christmas stuff even right now. So if we started to see some greens and some reds next week, I would, not, uh, I would not try to enact church discipline on you. We would not run you out of the church, but we would begin to sing in our hearts merry songs of Yuletide. So just let that be uh, an encouragement to you this morning as we jump into, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to say. I'm excited about that because I'm excited about Operation Thanks. I love to see the, the, the goofy hats and the, the, the sound of sliding poultry frozen across uh, plastic tables. And uh, I'd I love to see those types of stuff. I really am excited about collecting and connecting through uh, Operation Thanks. I, that really is an exciting uh, thing for me. I know that uh, it, it's been a cool way for our church to reach out. But it's also been a cool way for our church to uh, just be on mission together. That's always been a lot of fun. And so if this is your first year being around Hagerstown Church, when we start gathering frozen poultry, just, just you wait. Uh, wear steel-toed boots and, uh, and come ready to have a good time. This is going to be a, a sweet time. Also, I just wanted to say this too. That's a great time for you to wear your, uh, your Hagerstown Church hoodie. I know some of you are representing this morning. And remember, we, we still have some hoodies that uh, we're getting ready to order. So if you want one of those, make sure that you sign up for that. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into our text this morning. Mark chapter number 6, and I'm going to read 30 to 52. It'll be on the screen, but you can also follow along with your copy of God's word. This is what the word of God says. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and began to teach them many things And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish commanded them to sit, all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And, And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. He spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, this is your word. So we recognize that this morning. We give it reverence. And we listen, and we pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak to your church, that you would draw us to yourself as a result of this passage. And we ask that this be done through the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen. It is typically our fashion to kind of give you the big idea and so if, uh, at the beginning. And so if you aren't going to pay attention to anything else, if you plan on taking a nap, let me just give you this and then you can write it down and, and you can do what you will. And if you want to stay with me, you can do that too. But this is the big idea. Jesus is the good shepherd. You can trust in him alone for all that you need. Jesus is the good shepherd. You can trust in him alone for all that you need. As we walk through the text this morning, i want to kind of bring three things out that will you know, kind of just be markers along the way and support that main idea. One of the things that we're gonna bring out is that he provided rest for his disciples and he also provides rest for us. We're gonna see this idea that he prepares a meal for them and he prepare, prepares our meal as well. Lastly, we'll see that he gives them His protection. Another way that I could have said that is he gives them his presence and he does the same for us. He gives us his protection. He gives us his presence. All of these three things, they all support this idea that Jesus is our good shepherd and that we really can trust in him alone, alone for all that we need. And so this first couple verses, let's get started looking at, at them. Verse number 30, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Think about this idea. Last week and the week before, we, we, we saw that Jesus sent his disciples out. This is something that he had not done before. But he gathered them up two by two, par- partnered them, and gave them authority to preach to heal, to cast out demons, and then he sent them out. It was really cool to see. We had last week, we looked at this uh, intermission, if you will, but this morning we see their result. They come back joyfully telling Jesus all the things that they had done, all the things that they had taught. This was an exciting time for them. You know, have you ever wondered, uh, you know, as you're maybe playing sports and somebody says, hey, if you just tried to do this thing a little different, then you'd you'd see such an improvement in, uh, in your batting or you'd see such an improvement in your kicking or, or whatever it is or in your dribbling or maybe if you just add this ingredient, stop using this type of butter and use this type and you'll see such a result and, and maybe you go and do that and you actually see the result that they said. Isn't that an exciting thing? Jesus has told his disciples, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and do these things and when they came back, they were just, they were shocked even of the things that God had done through them, that Jesus had done through them. But they came back and they were wore out. They were beat. What does Jesus say to them there in verse 31? He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. This, this word desolate, we've seen that many times in Mark. Mark likes to use that word. But this, in this case, desolate simply means this, uninhabited. It doesn't necessarily mean a place where there's no vegetation, but it's the idea there's no people there. Why do we know that? Because it says in verse 31, for many were coming and going. They just needed a break. You ever been peopled out? You ever just come to the point where you're like, my face hurts because I'm smiling. I've been standing on these feet all day for a week. My yams are tired, right? The dogs are barking. You need to rest a while. You're peopled out. That's what the disciples were facing right now. Many were coming and going. Many people needed their help, and so they were helping them. Many people were celebrating, rejoicing, asking questions, finding out more, having lots of good conversations, and yet they didn't even have leisure to eat. They didn't have time to just take a break and get something. It says in verse 32 that they went away in the boat. They answered Jesus. They got into the boat and they said, let's go, right? They went in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so Jesus, he sees their fatigue. He sees that they're wore out. And that's important for us to be reminded. This is a small piece, but I want you to say, I want you to know this, that Jesus sees your fatigue. Jesus sees your ministry. Jesus sees the work that you're doing, but he also sees that you're human. He also sees that you need rest, and that you need nutrition. He also sees that they need time away, and so he calls them to a time of solitude, of quietness. It seems he's saying that they should leave those who are in need behind. And it's interesting that Jesus in this next paragraph actually leaves his disciples to go up on the mountain and pray. And so this wasn't just something that he called his disciples to do, but it's something that Jesus did as well. Took some time, quietly, and spent time with the Lord. And what's this connection with the desolate place? Well, it, it's, like I said a moment ago, it's, it's an unpopulated place. It's uninhabited. No, no distractions, just time away away from serving, time spent with Jesus. The last two years have been a challenging year for us. It's been an awesome year. But if you think about it, two years ago, Hagerstown Church didn't exist, and now it does, less than two years ago. And while the Lord has done this work, it's also true that God has used people to do it, right? And so God, he meets our needs of nutrition, but he usually does it with a Big Mac, right? Or a salad. And so how has God done this work in Hagerstown Church? Well, he's done it through the hands, through the blood, sweat, and tears of Hagerstown Church, the people that comprise it. And you might say, I'm tired. You might say, it's been a long two years. It's been a good two years, but it's been long. There's been a lot of work done. I want you to know some things. One, Jesus sees that. Jesus recognizes the work that you've done. The counseling, the encouragement, the letters, the prayers, the attendance, the stacking chairs, the unstacking chairs, setting up uh, pipe and drape, taking it back down. He's seen that, singing, preparing, even on Thursdays when nobody else knows that the worship team is here, Jesus sees that. And he also says this, hey, I know that you've worked hard. I know that you've invested for my glory and for your good, but you need to know this, it's, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to step aside It's okay to spend time with him. So if you're wondering this morning, is it okay? Is it okay for me to actually rest? Does Jesus expect me to be like him in the sense that I need no rest? Like God in the sense that I have no dependence on anything? No, that's not true. Jesus calls his disciples to come and rest a while to take a break. When you pursue solitude, when you pursue time with the Lord away from ministry, you demonstrate that ministry is not important, more important than you. You demonstrate that God doesn't have to have you in order for ministry, for his work to move forward. We're going to talk more about this in just a moment, but do you remember when Pharaoh controlled the children of Israel? They were exploited for everything that they had, for all that they were worth, even to the point of death. They were wrung out in a unhealthy evil way in a way that marred in a sense or, or dishonored the imago Day, the image of god in people but not so with christ christ doesn't look at us and say hey it's been a good two years and get back to work no he says hey come apart take some time and rest how could he encourage them to rest? There was so much to do. There was lives to rescue, souls to save, people to heal, demons to cast out, and yet Jesus commands them to come away from ministry and to rest. And by the way, this is, if that was helpful for you, verse 32 is going to be crazy helpful for you. It's proof that cruises are actually biblical. Look at verse 32. Cruises are a biblical thing, right? He says, what did he say? And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Some of you, if you if, if, uh, when cruises open back up, you need to take that verse, right? You need to take it literally. But one of the things that we notice about Jesus in connection and supporting uh, of this idea that Jesus is the good shepherd is that he provides us rest. He provides us rest. What does this truth teach us as we read this story? What does it teach us about Jesus? Well, one thing that you you could write underneath of this idea of rest is that Jesus works in spite of our humanity. Jesus works in spite of our humanity. You see, he's not hindered by the fact that you're human. He's not hindered by the fact that you need to get something to eat sometimes. He's not hindered. The ministry is not hindered by the fact that you need to take a nap sometimes. Right? I read somewhere recently in the home of a friend that Jesus took naps often. And so what should you do? You should nap more. Right? He's not hindered by the fact that we are human. Now, he is, in a sense, the ministry, the the gospel witness is hindered by our sinfulness, but not by our humanity, not by the fact that we are frail, not by the fact that we need rest. Jesus recognizes that work and ministry, it takes energy. And that energy, humanly speaking, requires naps and snacks, right? And so he's not, he, Jesus works in spite of our humanity. We also see this, that Jesus is, is more concerned with what he's doing in us more than what, he's can, more than what he can get out of us. And while both of these are important, he wants to do a work in us and he wants to do a work through us. He will not do a work through us if he's not first done a work in us. And as Jesus only can do, he holds these these two truths simultaneously. That he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. But one's not more important than the other. You know, that's not true of Pharaoh. It's not true of Satan. This idea that Jesus wants to give us rest, that God wants to give us rest. It's not true of Pharaoh. It's not true of Satan. When we live in the, in the world's economy, when we subject ourselves and we feed on American greed, in the American gospel, what ends up taking place? We find ourselves in a rat race and we're exhausted, chasing self-realization Chasing selfish desires. It's a hamster wheel that never ends. It leads literally to death. And so, Satan, what does this, how does he compare to the way that Jesus treats us as it relates to rest? Well, number one, Satan disregards God's creative order by treating people as if they're a resource and not creatures made in his image. I know that's a long sentence, but think about that. Satan disregards God's creative order by treating people as if they're a resource and not a creature made in the very image of God. Think about this. When Satan looks at us, he sees mere mortals. I'm, I'm reminded of a statement that C.S. Lewis said. He said that you've never met a mere mortal. You've never met a mere mortal. Every single eyes, set of eyes that you've ever looked into, that's peered back at you, is a soul and body united together in the very image of God that will last for eternity, either in glory with Christ or separated from him for all of eternity. Satan looks at us and he says, this is just a resource, here today, gone tomorrow. And though the Bible does teach that our lives here on earth are but a vapor, it also teaches that we will live eternally either in the glory of God or under his condemnation. Satan would have us to think that people are just resources. Something that you can use and throw away. that You can wring out and discard. More than that, Satan is concerned with what he can get out of you, not with what he can do for you. Not with what he can do in you. When I think about this idea of rest and that Jesus with compassion, even though that word is not used of him and his disposition toward the disciples, I'm reminded again of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. This is such a wonderful truth. I love this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a passage. What a truth. I love that. As a matter of fact, this year, I'm going to let you in on a little bit of secret. We're creating a, a resource that we're going to be, instead of tags that the turkeys will have on their uh, leg or on the, the netting there, we're actually going to be putting the, the frozen turkeys in grocery bags. And as we pass them out, it'll have Hagerstown Church on one side and on the other, it'll have this passage of scripture. Come to me, all who, are, who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is what the world needs to hear. This is what the world wants to hear. If only they knew that it was found, rest, true rest is found in Christ. And so when we we consider this true, good, chief shepherd, be reminded of this, that he provides us rest. He provides us rest. Let's keep moving through this text verse thirty three it says this now many saw them going heading to that on that cruise, if you will, to that desolate, uninhabited place. they see them going, and they recognize them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them, and he went ashore, and he saw the crowd, and they knew this was going to happen. They look at jesus he 's walking before them he 's excited to see them in a sense he 's emotionally connected with them and he sees them and he says, it says he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. Imagine from the disciples' perspective what's happening here. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, y'all look tired. You ever had somebody say that to you? Do you take offense to that? I I always wonder, is that offensive to say like, you look tired? You look like you got run over today right? The, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you guys are tired. Let's, let's, let's get out. Let's take a moment. Let's go to this desolate place. And so they get in the boat and they start to go. And they get to where they're going. It's not been that long. They get to where they were going and they're like, this is going to be great. We're going to spend some time with Jesus. And Jesus hops out of the boat. They all see their jaws hit the floor. This crowd has ran. The four miles that it took for them to, to float and to row where they're going, it's taken them uh, eight miles. They've, they've done it in less time. And so a lot of the crowd, maybe not all of them, but a lot of this crowd has begun to gather there, and they're like, oh my goodness. And Jesus sees them. He sees their desperation. He sees their need. He sees their excitement, and he says, hey, I've got to teach them. And so while we can imagine that this is likely a more fit crowd than 21st century Americans, here they're still running. And that says something, right? That says something, that they ran. I mean, I don't know if this is exactly true, but I've, I've heard it said that Jews don't run. Self-respectable, especially uh, gentlemen, they don't run, right? But they ran. They ran to where they were going. What, what's happening here? Jesus looks at them, along with the disciples, and he says, I've got compassion on them. You see the kindness of Jesus. I, I love what Dane Ortland says about this. He just reminds us about that Greek word for compassion. He says it's the same in all these texts, and it refers most literally to the bowels or guts of a person. And it's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from the innermost core. Ultimately, it reflects the deepest heart of Christ. The stomach hurts for them. They're a sheep without a shepherd. Why is that such a sad sight? When I read this, that, that statement right there, it leaps literally in my mind. It leaps off the page. What does that mean? Sheep without a shepherd. The list of, of perils that sheep face is not short. It's quite long. If you look, I don't remember where it was at. Sometime in 2019, we looked at John, I think it was John 10. We talked about this idea of the, the perils that sheep face but from wolves to infections they can be taken down from anxiety to cliffs it's a dangerous situation if you're a sheep danger is on every corner some of you, you, you when you think of your husbands you think about them you just think they're helpless they're like sheep without shepherds right if I wasn't around would they even be able to eat but that's kind of the idea here it's just pitiful literally they would there was nothing that couldn't hurt them If they didn't have a shepherd with them at all times, it was a death sentence. They had to have a shepherd with them to protect them from the wolves, to protect them from infections, to keep them watered, to keep them eating the the right food, to keep them away from cliffs, to keep them from literally dying from anxiety. Jesus looks at these people that are on the side of this hill and they've, they've run there. And he says, man, they're like, a sh- they're like a, uh, just a herd of sheep without a shepherd. What had what caused them to look so sheepish? What had caused Jesus to see them in this way? What had caused this tailspin? Could it be the death of John the Baptist? Could it be the death of John the Baptist? John had died recently. We believe chronologically that this has taken place. And so the people... You imagine as Jesus' ministry increases and John's decreases. We looked at that last week. It literally decreased and, and it was final. John, right? As his head was removed from his shoulders, sadly. And in a situation like that, the people that were listening to John, that were following John, that had been baptized by John, what was going through their mind? Shock. Fear. Their leader had just been removed. He was dead. He had an outsized influence on this people. Maybe it's similar to when King Uzziah died. Isaiah sees the, the Lord on his throne. Maybe in some way John needed to decrease because he was blocking the view of Christ in some way. Maybe that's what led to them to be in a panic I don't know. But here this people have run ahead. They've met Jesus there. Verse 34, what does it say? It says he began. Well, if you remember two weeks ago when we looked at the, the, the sending of the disciples, when, when Mark uses that word began, it, it denotes a change of plan or, 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 or pace. So something has changed. Jesus has begun to do something that he didn't intend to do in an earthly human sense. He began to teach them. What did these people need? They needed a teacher. They needed a shepherd. They needed solid truth. Truth in the midst of trial. Truth that transcends and yet is imminent. That's what they needed to hear. That's what they needed in that moment. That's what nutrition they were calling for. And Jesus begins to meet their needs spiritually speaking it begins to teach them it begins to shepherd them and yet these folks are hungry they become hungry they've been there for some time but they stay there and they listen why? because they, their spiritual need even the many of them ignorant sp- they knew this that their spiritual need was greater than their physical need and they were locked on look at verse 35 it says and when it grew late his disciples came to him and said this is a desolate place and the hour is now late send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat you know it's actually not that late now it's getting late in the day but relative to the actual time it's and in and comparison for our time and our rhythms it's not that late it's roughly around three o'clock disciples are saying if they don't go now they won't have time the shops are going to be closing soon they need to make that hike back to those uh surrounding villages and get something to eat And we can get on our way back to our cruise, doing what we were going to do you said something jesus about going away to a desolate place we should we should get on with that right maybe they're tapping their watches they're looking at them you know sending that sign to jesus let's shut it down we're tired it's late you've taught them what about that rest you promised what does Jesus say to them? Look at verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they came and said, five and two fish. The purpose of them coming away was, uh, was seemingly to take a break from ministry to come to a desolate place? Why was Jesus now wanting them to serve this crowd? What's that pointing to? Were they to get that rest? Had they, in a sense, already received that? Besides that, to feed a crowd, that that size, it says, would take 200 denarii uh carry the one multiply by two what is what is what does that come to right in your mind well uh, it, it's uh, a denarii is about a day's work of worth or a day's worth of work That's a day's pay and so if you if you count it out by by their work week that's about eight months of work that's a lot of money that's a lot of dough a lot of bread right jesus jesus is saying hey let's let's feed them they're saying how would we do that I, you probably remember this jesus oh, we all quit our jobs we haven't fished in some time, right? They pull out their wallets and they, you know, as the old timers do, just to show you how poor they are for fun, they blow and hope that dust will fall out because it'll be funny looking, right? Well, that's what they do for Jesus, right? They pull their wallets out and they blow through them and there, nothing comes out, just some dust. They say, Jesus, how, how, could, how could we possibly do that? We don't have this amount of money. What does Jesus say? Well, what do you have? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. What a fool's errand they thought that would be. Oh, sure, yeah, let me go check the, the bag and see how much, you know, the knapsack and see if we've got 200 denarii worth of bread laying around in there. Perhaps we do. And so they go and check and they come back and maybe in their minds, I don't know, maybe I can see some of you, probably me, being a little bit sarcastic here and be like, oh, I found out, Jesus. We know exactly how much we have. You know, we have five loaves. What does Jesus do in verse 39? He commanded them to, to all sit down in groups on the green grass. The fact that it's green grass just shows us that this is, this is springtime. This is, this, is, uh, this is getting into the time of Passover. They all sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven And set a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. I love that Jesus did that. That's that's his method. He looks up to heaven. And he says a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he began to give them to the disciples and to set before the people. He divided the, the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. 5,000 men. We, we can assume that, by, by the way, that, that word men, it always just means men. It's always male. And so it doesn't mean 5,000 in, of human. No, it, it's What Mark is saying is there's 5,000 men that are there. And so we can assume then that some of these guys might have had their wives and children and nephews and nieces and grandpa and grandmas tagging along, we don't know. So we know there's at least 5,000 people there and quite possibly up to 20,000 people there are gathered there to hear Jesus. It's shocking to me how few verses Mark dedicates to this story. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, then uh, Jesus like took some like five loaves, I think it was, and two fish, and like broke them up and fed like twenty thousand people. Anyway, then they got into this boat. Like when you think about that, like that's crazy. This miracle that Jesus performs—they're hungry spiritually. They need a shepherd. By the way, that's one of the main roles of a shepherd is to feed, to make sure that the the sheep have their nourishment. And so he sees them in need spiritually and he teaches them. But again, he doesn't downplay the fact that they're humans. Oh, you're so annoying. Here we are trying to study the Bible and you need to take a break to get something to eat. Come on, stay with me. No, he doesn't do that. With his compassion, he says, hey, no, I've fed them a spiritual meal and now I'll feed them a physical one. And so Jesus prepares this meal for them. Begins by feeding them spiritually with the word of God, but he follows it up, meeting their physical need as well. What can we learn from this miracle? This idea that Jesus prepares our meal. One thing I have just noticed in here is that we we as Christians, we serve out of the overflow of what we have received. We serve out of the overflow of what we have received. Jesus asks the disciples, what do you have? This is what I've got, Jesus. And they give it back to him. Could Jesus have ha- ha fed the, the crowd with, with 200 denarii worth of bread that he purchased? Yes. Oftentimes that's how he meets our needs. But Could he have fed this crowd with the manna that fell from heaven? Of course he could have. By the way, keep that in mind. Yes what did he choose to do? He he chooses in this story to take the little that the disciples were able to to, to gather together that they had received and they were able then to give it to Jesus and serve him with that. So we serve out of the overflow of what we have received. And another observation that I have from this this idea that he feeds them a meal is that little is much when God is in it. I didn't come up with that. That's an old song. I remember singing that as a, as a teenager in our church. Teen week. Little is much when God is in it. This is a truth that we need to know. We're a little church. We've not been around real long and yet we can see, we can testify together that little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and we can win it if we go in Jesus' name. These men are spent. They have little left. They're tired. And yet the little that they have, that they give to Jesus, what, what does he do with it? He demonstrates to them that he's not, he's not encumbered. He's not held back by the fact that they don't have much left. He's not held back by the fact that they're tired. He's not held back by the fact that he only, he's not like, man, if I just had 10 loaves, I probably could have spread that out. But five loaves. It's just not enough. No, little is much when God is in it. Third, another observation that we can see from this miracle is that Jesus satisfies our hunger. Jesus satisfies our hunger. Do you see that? The the disciples were now able to eat, it says that they all ate. Imagine that. You know, some of you guys, they don't get their hands smacked as they're like delivering the bre- baskets of bread and fish to the, to the people that are gathered in 50s and 100s. I imagine that they're like, man, we haven't been able to eat for a while now. We've been wanting a meal. Jesus said he was going to get us some on that cruise, and uh, that didn't really work out too well. I guess, and then Jesus is like, hey, I want you to take these baskets, and I want you to disperse them a- across the way into all the people. I imagine as they were going, they were maybe, you know, dipping it down in there and getting some of the, you know, some of the, some of the fish and the bread, a little bit for themselves, right? Then when it's all said and done, they they sit down and maybe eat a little bit themselves and then they go back through and they gather up all that's left over. And what's left over? 12 baskets. Why do you think there are 12 baskets? You might say, well, because there are 12 tribes of Israel or something like that. And, And maybe that's true. But how about this? There's 12 disciples and they didn't have time to eat They didn't have time to eat. They'd been serving and Jesus is like, hey, you guys look wore out. You look beat. You need to get something to eat. You haven't even sat down and had a meal. And then in the midst of their serving, what happens? Out of the overflow of the miracle that Jesus does in their midst, before their own eyes, Jesus also sets aside miraculously 12 extra meals. How could he handle that? We might be a small church, but we eat a lot, right? We got a lot of young kids in here, young, growing boys, right? How could Jesus just peg that exactly? Like, if I make just enough, I'm going to have 12 baskets. That's what he did. That's a, a sub miracle here. And what do you think the disciples thought when they gathered up those 12 baskets? Fool. What do you think they're thinking? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. He did it again, he packed their lunch, right? They're, they're full. They've had time to eat. And by the way, they've now had time to eat. Now they've actually been able to eat. And that was their initial need anyway. And so what does Jesus do for them? He prepares our meal. The nourishment that we need. Intrinsically connected to the fact that we are human. It said, to err is human. Wrong. To need to rest is human. To need to eat, that's human. To sin It's not necessarily human. Now, in some sense now, in this day and age, it is. To sin is to be fallen. To need rest and to need food is to be human. And Jesus has made made us in this way. He and he has made us for himself. And he meets our need. He gives us rest, even when we serve. And he gives us food in the midst of that as well. So we serve out of the overflow of what we received. Little is much when God is in it, and Jesus alone satisfies our hunger, as nothing else can. Let's keep going. Look at verse forty-five. I know we're covering a lot of ground and we're moving quick. Stay with me. Verse forty-five says, "Immediately he made his disciples to get into the boat." By the way, you need to catch this. This is pretty cool. This is a bit abnormal, right? They just done this huge miracle. They've, they've taken this pit stop. They're not supposed to be there with all these people. The people show up, and Jesus is like, hey, I've got I've to take care of these people. And so he does this deal. They're like, man, we're hungry. We needed, a, we needed some rest. And then Jesus is like, boom, bang. He ma- feeds everybody. They get their baskets, and he's like, hey, get take your basket and get on the boat. And they're like, but, 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 take your basket, get on the boat. And So the disciples do that. And then Jesus is like, hey, I'll take care of the crowd. And then what does Jesus do? He sends them away. He dismisses the crowd. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were all utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Here the disciples are. You'll remember they are in their element, many of them. Former fishermen, it's not like, what do you do with the oar? I don't know. Like, they know. This is, this is where they lived. This is, the, this is their bread and butter. And they're still struggling here. This storm, it's not the storm like we, like we looked at a few weeks ago. No. This, it was not a sudden windstorm like in the earlier calming of the waves. No, this is just a tiring, continuous headwind. Which means they, they regularly, constantly... Are involved, all of them, in backbreaking rowing. That's what they're doing right now. The darkest hour of their night, right? In the greatest time of need, what happens? Jesus unexpectedly comes to their rescue. Last time, when they dealt with a similar situation, where was Jesus? Well, he was asleep. He was with them, but he was asleep. And now on this occasion, as they're fighting some waves and this constant wind, he's absent. He's out praying somewhere. But when they needed him most, where is Jesus? He gives them his protection. And how does he do that? He does that through his presence. You see, they just wanted to get to the other side. They wanted to get to a place. But listen, security is not a place. Security is a person. Jesus is calling to you this morning. He's calling you to trust in Him as the present protecting chief shepherd. You see, He gives us rest. He is our shepherd. He literally gives us rest. Even when we're not taking naps, He is still able to give rest. He gives us our meals. He gives us the nutrition that we need spiritually and even physically as our shepherd. And now he gives us protection. And he does that by way of his very presence with us. They thought, we just need a break. We just need some food. We just need a boost. And Jesus is saying about them, like he did the crowd. No, you just need a shepherd. Look at verse fifty-two. It Says, "For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened." Contrast verse fifty-two with verse. 50, with, I'm sorry, with, with verse thirty. Look at verse thirty. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Verse fifty-two. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Somebody might need to hear this this morning. Isn't that is that a bit odd? That these cats like, were sent out by Jesus to go and teach and proclaim and heal with his authority and message, and yet here they didn't understand everything and their hearts were even a little bit hard. Some of you wonder, am, am I really capable to be sharing the gospel with these people? I mean, shouldn't I like, get my life together? Shouldn't I figure everything out first to make sure that like, my heart's in the right place in every way? And yes, while some of that, there's truth in that. At the same time, are you not encouraged by the fact that the disciples, their hearts were a little bit hardened here and they didn't understand everything and yet still... A few verses prior, Jesus had sent them out as his emissaries. So I don't know if I'm capable to be leading my wife spiritually. I just don't know if I'm where I need to be at this exact moment. And Jesus is like, dude, you're not the chief shepherd. I'm the chief shepherd. Why don't you just submit to me and let me call you to do and and fulfill in you what I'm trying to do? You say, well, I don't know if I can be a life group leader. I don't know if I can be a D group leader. I don't know if I can can encourage folks or share the gospel the way that he wants me to. Just read verse 30 and then read verse 52 at the same time. Moving on. Mark tells us stories. He kind of, in a sense, looks into the eyes of the Roman Christians and he says, can you believe it? Can you believe that these guys' hearts were hardened, and that they didn't understand? They didn't understand everything that Jesus had taught them through this loaves miracle. Can, can you believe that they didn't understand the meaning of Jesus feeding the crowd miraculously there in the mil, in the wilderness? You see, Jesus had basically given them a, a, a lesson in verses thirty and, and, and onward. He'd give them a lesson. He'd taught them a truth, and then in the boat there was a test it doesn't seem as though they were paying attention in a lesson because, in a sense, they failed the test. So the key to understanding this passage, the, the feeding of the 5,000, the key to passing the test, it, it's to see something that the disciples had missed. Maybe the Roman Christians, you know, that Mark is addressing this a letter to initially, and maybe even to us as well. Maybe, maybe Mark is kind of, in a sense, peering through this text and he's saying, hey, Hagerstown Church, did you get the meaning of the loaves? Do you understand it as well? You see, the key to understanding this passage is to see the similarities between this account of Jesus teaching and feeding and spending time with the disciples and the Old Testament account of the children of Israel, particularly when they're in the wilderness. You say... Okay, you're getting a little bit far-fetched here. And, uh, and I admit that it is a bit of a stretch, but I want you to follow with me. Trust me just for a moment as we look to the text and then trust the text. Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 to 17. Moses has been with the children of Israel for, a quite, for quite some time. He's led them out of Egypt. He's led them in uh, right to the border of the promised land. They're ready to go. Now, Moses is not gonna get to go but he's got them right to the edge and Jesus and God's like, "Hey, you're not going to go, you're not going to make it. I'm going to be taking you and I'm going to be taking it from here. And this is what Moses says to God. He says, "Let the Lord, the God of spirit and all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, the congregation that Moses oversaw in verse 17 of chapter 27 in numbers. He goes on to say, who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be, listen, as sheep that have no shepherd? And so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. This is just the beginning of the connecting piece. When Jesus sees the children of Israel there on the side of that hill that had raced ahead, what does he say? They're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd and his heart breaks for them. In a similar way, Moses, knowing he's about to be gone, knowing that who, how great a prophet he has been before the people, he says, hey, God, will you appoint somebody else to lead this people so that they're not like sheep without a shepherd there in the wilderness, be able to be picked apart and destroyed. You see they both needed a shepherd. Both those the children of Israel there on the side of that hill and all the way back in the Old Testament there in the wilderness, they both needed a shepherd. Moses was dying and here John was dead. And so see the connection there. Jesus is saying, hey, they need these people need a shepherd. They're both in a desolate place. They're both in an uninhabited place without food, without the things that are needful for humans. They both have a strong leader that had preceded their savior. John preceded Jesus, and Moses preceded Joshua. Interestingly, the name Joshua and Jesus are the same name, separated only by translation. And Joshua would lead the people into the promised land. They're both taught in the wilderness there. They both received the word of God in the wilderness. They're both miraculously fed in the wilderness. The children of Israel, they receive manna, right? Carbs and quail, protein. That's what they needed. Jesus here has fed them five loaves and two fish. Miraculously, in the wilderness. They're both grouped in fifties and hundreds. That's that's not an accident. And Jethro meets with Moses. He's like, hey, divide the people up, break them into groups. What does Jesus do here? Now that's typical of of, of the Jews in that time. That was how they would handle large groups of people. But where did they get that idea from? It's the same then as it was in the time of Jesus. In a sense, because of this passage, Jesus, or their leader, crosses over water miraculously. Both are comforted by God's presence. The Israelites had the, the cloud and pillar of God and the disciples, what did they have? They had the very person of God, Jesus in verse 50, what does he say? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. As we read that in the English, it sounds like this It is I. But to a first century Jew, what do they hear? I am. That's what that is. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Now, it's possible that Jesus is just saying, Hey, it's just me. But it's likely that Jesus is saying in their trial, Hey, I am God, and I'm with you. You see, this is what the disciples had missed. They weren't sewing all these together. They weren't holding them all together. They'd missed the point of the feeding. They'd misunderstood it. And so the question for you this morning is, do you understand? Do you understand what Jesus is doing? Do you understand how Mark has given us this information and what the disciples had missed? You see, Moses is not what you need. Joshua is not what you need. John is not what you need. Listen, Jesus is the good shepherd. Trust in him alone for all that you need. Why would they be afraid? Why, why would they not look to God there in that wilderness, in that, on that water? Why would they be doubting? Why would they be shocked? Why would they be shocked when Jesus says, it is I, or I am? They'd miss the point that Jesus Was the better Joshua that would lead them. Jesus is the better Joshua that would fight their battles for them and lead them into the promised land, vanquishing vanquishing the land of all the enemies. They missed that point. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's what this passage tells us. He alone provides our rest. He is the one that shepherds the people that look like they have no shepherd. He's the one that prepares their meal, He's the one that gives them His protection. Some of you might say this morning, maybe a young person here, you might, or, or maybe you're new around here, you might say this, hey, I don't know if I need a shepherd. I, I'm good right now. Well, that may in some sense be true, but I would ask you this. If you're saying that, no matter who you are, I, I, I'm good right now. I don't know that I need a shepherd. I don't know that I need a, 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 ch- a chief shepherd or a, a good shepherd. Well, what will you do when you lose your job? What will you do when you're hungry? What will you do when your spouse says, I don't love you anymore? What will you do when you lose your spouse to some type of disease or accident? What about when the kids move away? What about when the kids never arrive? When your health begins to fail, when your sin finally catches up to you and you're found out? What about when your worldview leaves you unsatisfied, without meaning, when you feel all alone? Or how about this, when your political party is displaced, what will you do then? You say, I'm good, I'm good now, but what about in situations like that? They only serve to reveal to us that we're never without need of a shepherd. I couldn't help but think of Psalm 23 as I prepared this sermon this week. In light of the text here in Mark and the context that we find ourselves in as 21st century Americans, the election results. With psalm 23 in mind. Listen to this first sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. At 10 o'clock, we spend some time praying together as a church. Those that are here that are preparing to serve, we typically will look at a psalm, generally the psalm that we're looking at that week that we'll read as our scripture, and uh, we'll make a few comments on it. We'll spend some time praying. And I, I shared this with that group that was there. What if you were to replace the name lord with whatever it is that you're chasing after and looking to as your shepherd what would that what would the rest of the psalm look like who are you looking to as your shepherd who do you look to on a regular basis perhaps it's your spouse perhaps it's your parents maybe it's even you towards your children because maybe they seem to have a sense of wisdom about them. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe your life group leader, your D group leader. I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something not so savory. What would it look like if you were to replace that first line? The blank is my shepherd. What would that very next statement look like? I shall not want. If you were to replace it with the Lord is my, or the spouse, my spouse is my shepherd. Would it say, I shall not want? My job is my shepherd. Would it also then say, I shall not want? And and on down the line. Could you replace it with, Donald Trump is my shepherd? What would the rest of that look like? What about Joe Biden? Joe Biden is my shepherd. We could keep going. The Supreme Court is my shepherd. Emily Keller is my shepherd. Would that work out? How would that work? Now, that is not an attack on any of these people, but it is to say this, that the the Lord being our shepherd, that is integral to the rest of the psalm, and it doesn't read the same way if we replace it. Jesus wanted the disciples to see that he was their shepherd. He was the very one that would shepherd the people, that would give them rest, would give them meals and nutrition, and would even give his very presence protection. I want to just invite you to, to end the sermon with me, where, kind of where we began, by looking at this psalm and reading it. Maybe it's helpful for you to close your eyes and just in a spirit of worship. Think about this psalm and thank God that no one else is your shepherd, that God alone, Yahweh, I am, is our shepherd. Let me read that for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. forever. Let's pray. Father, we rest in your word this morning. We echo the the Psalm of David from the bottom of our hearts that you alone are our shepherd. We ask you, Father, I ask you on behalf of this church that you would reveal to us any wicked way where we've looked to some other being or some other object as our shepherd, would you forgive us of that? Would you reveal that to us? Father, would we look to you and you alone and not a political party, not some person in our life, good or bad. We look to you alone as our shepherd. And would we submit to you? And would we glorify you by resting and trusting you and you alone? You are our shepherd. Because of that, we shall not want. We trust these things and we pray them in the name of Jesus, amen.